Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 277. This episode is with Man United's first team women's physical performance coach, Jack Clover. Jack's been on the podcast before, way back when, right towards the start of the podcast. It was great to finally get him back on and catch up. He's obviously been in a few different roles since we spoke last time as well. So catching up around his work at Man United, something we didn't speak about last time. Um, It was great to hear all the progressions he's making. So we talked about his background and his career, as we always do. We spoke about the new building at the club. We spoke about individualising within the squad framework, so how he goes about that. We spoke about new technology, progressions, and also tying in with the recent episode from Joe Club on researching women's football. We spoke about where Jack feels like future research is required and also potentially any gaps in research as well so areas that he feels like need more research to help him and support him in his role on a day-to-day basis just before we get into the episode i want to divert your attention to our next networking event which is going to be on tuesday the 27th of february from 6 till 9 p.m we've had a lot of requests over the last few years for getting over to the east side of the country and that's exactly where we're going so we're going to be at Colchester United we've got two presenters for the evening Dave Carolan Dave's a highly experienced head of performance in elite sports and also Hayden Clifton who's head of medicine and sports science at Colchester United they're both going to be presenting for us we've already had tickets go from practitioners at Cambridge Gillingham Norwich City and from Colchester as well so if you're over that way and you want to come and join us for an evening of networking go to footballfitfed.com click the shop tab and you'll find the event there and you can purchase your tickets there now if you're anything like me the first few hours of the day can sometimes be the most productive but you can also find that things get in the way and you don't get much done so I've been really focusing on this Ever since the podcast with Phil Learning, I've been focusing on utilizing my caffeine in a different way, trying to delay it, getting electrolytes in first thing in the morning. A big part of this is being able to focus and stay productive in those first few hours of the day. So I've also, alongside my electrolytes, I've been using a product called Magic Mind, and that has massively helped me do that. So it's a small shot, gives you energy, allows you to focus, crushes any sort of procrastination that you've got in the mornings and just allows you to get on with your tasks. The good news is for listeners of this podcast, Magic Mind have set us up a a unique link so you can check it out in the show notes and also you can use the code FOOTBALLFITNESSFEDERATION20 for a very special offer that they've set up for listeners of the Football Fitness Federation podcast so go and check it out. Also a big thank you to our sponsors The Good Prep. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh ready to eat chef cooked meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goal, current activity level and schedule. The Good Prep works closely with elite level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Their clients include Bright and Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth Teams, Gymshark and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep you in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set. Plus you can reclaim your time eat better, move more, and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating 
and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com and make sure you use the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. This podcast is also brought to you by Hytro, the number one BFR brand in pro sport, helping teams and athletes improve performance and recover faster with their blood flow restriction wearables. Built for sport and proven by science, check out hytro.com to find out more. Also, last but not least, a massive thank you to Rezzle. Go and check out at Rezzle over on social medias, doing some amazing work in the world of VR. And let's get into episode 277 with Man United's first team women's physical performance coach, Jack Clover. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 277. I'm delighted to welcome back onto the podcast. It's been far too long. Jack Clover, how are we doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, it's been a it's been a good few years since last time, I think. It certainly has. I think the last one we did was audio only. And yeah. I'm, that's right, isn't it? And that's a, that's a fair while ago. I think it might have even been a single, single digits episode. And I think you're on... 200 and something now, aren't you? So I think you're right. I think you're right. So we've got quite a bit to catch up on. Not that we haven't spoken in the meantime, but just for listeners, I know you did this on the first episode, but things have changed. There's been a few years in between that. Give us a little rundown on your career so far, Jack. Yeah, no problem. Um, So I guess probably similar to a a lot of guests you've had on, started out as a a sort of sports mad kid, um, played all different types of sports team sports combat sports athletics everything as a kid also always had a, a real interest in coaching and even like at primary school I used to do little coaching sessions with my mates and stuff like that like I was always big on coaching Um, ended up going more in a team sports direction so I played a lot of football rugby and cricket as a kid Um, then took that sort of interest in sport to university at Liverpool John Moores again a lot of your guests have being there is a fantastic university for sport, real hotbed for for sport and opportunities. Um, that was where I got introduced to the sort of concept of strength and conditioning and how to train athletes specifically for the for the sport rather than just for health and fitness. Um, from that, went on to an internship in professional cricket, which is obviously where where we met each other. Um, really threw myself into that, but. When I started looking at jobs and career opportunities, I realized I probably needed a little bit more to my CV, a little bit more from an education point of view. So I then went back to Liverpool John Moores University to study exercise physiology, a master's degree. Probably the the toughest kind of couple of years of my life in terms of um, spinning a lot of plates. Uh, I kind of paid my way through that with my personal training business out of two different gyms. Um, opposite sides of Liverpool um, I also was interning um, within the university working with scholarship athletes and then halfway through my master's I was able to get a role part-time at the university working with the TAS athletes which was a really good education piece for me 
working with lots of different sports, different types of sports, different age groups of athletes. I also did a bit of teaching at the university at the same time um, on the undergraduate programs, science and football programs. Um, and then in early 2016, got a role through a couple of athletes I was working with at Everton Women. Um, that was a part-time role, but I was actually working with every team from the under 10s up to the senior team um, part-time whilst also working at the university. Um, so a real couple of years there where I was doing a lot at the same time, but also getting a really good um, education in coaching, spent a lot of time coaching, um, whilst also finishing off my master's at the same time. Um, over those first couple of years at Everton, that gradually became more of a full-time role, more demanding. So eventually I dropped the university role, went full-time at Everton, um, and I've kind of come through as the Women's Super League has become more full-time professional that's happened with my career as well. Um, also, in the time I was at Everton, I did a little bit of consulting work with FIFA, uh, worked with their women's football programs, working with national teams with a little bit less support around strength and conditioning and physical performance, um, which was really interesting, working with a number of really high-quality practitioners, learning from them, um, working with teams, building up to qualification for the last Women's World Cup. Um, and then... 18 months ago, I made the move from Everton to Manchester United to work as physical performance coach with their first team. Um, and that kind of takes you up to date with where I'm at now. So 18 months at, at Manchester United working in the Women's Super League. Awesome. I was trying to think about where you were at exactly, because obviously you were at Everton when we spoke. But I can't remember whether you were whether it was early on and you were sort of part-time or whether it was further into the role. Can you remember? I think it might have been kind of early full-time days. Yeah. But I guess what full-time means has sort of changed a little bit since then in terms of the Women's Super League. Um, but yeah, I think it was probably early full-time. And just, this isn't an advert for Liverpool John Moores, but <laughs> there's a, like you mentioned, there's a hell of a lot of coaches that we've had on the podcast that also have spoken to and um, that I know have gone through the internship at clubs like Everton and Liverpool what do you think it is that stands out in terms of that as a university in those courses? Like, why is it producing so many so many top practitioners? That's a really good question. I, like, my initial actual attraction to, to Liverpool John Moores was probably more a point of view of moving to the Northwest because that was where there was a lot of sport going on. I grew up in the Southeast. I wanted to move away from home to kind of have that change of scenery. So my actual reason for going there probably wasn't actually knowing how high quality the program was. Mm. Um, and then I think um, I think I kind of by default walked into a, an excellent program with some really top practitioners. I think um, Liverpool John Moores has always had a, um, a particular focus on the applied, so the applied yeah. research, um, whether that be football, a lot of really high quality rugby league research, um, all different sports and I think good applied research and that kind of applied nature of the degree programs and good quality internships and placements um, really transfers well into creating good practitioners. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And I think that that does seem to be the case when I spoke to people before that it is that applied that seems to be the difference. So it's, it's nice to hear that from, from your side as well. 
On reflection, you mentioned sort of earlier on in your career, having the personal training jobs across a few different gyms and funding you, your own education as well. And a little bit more in terms of a chaotic environment, having lots of things and taking on experiences. And obviously we did the, the stuff down with Sport 981 as well. A lot of travel involved. Um, in, on reflection from all of that, is there anything that you'd maybe have done more of, done less of, in terms of tweaking that for if you were to advise people on early career? Um, I don't know if I'd changed too much, to be honest. Uh, it certainly wasn't an easy time period. Um, I would always push people towards delivering and coaching as much as they can, even if that's at a lower level. Um, because I was I was delivering to obviously a, a semi-professional at the time football team, but also some up, all the way up to athletes that were competing in world championships and Olympics through TAS. But I was also working with the general public. I was putting on classes at gyms. I was um, uh, working with kind of everyday runners, um, really everything across the spectrum. And I think if you can coach across that full spectrum, um, then that's going to put you in a good position as um, as a practitioner. Um, I think possibly there was times within that that I focused more on the applied side, more on the coaching side, and actually could have focused more on my actual education and the quality of education I was getting from my master's degree um, because that was the side I struggled with more. And I relied a lot on other people for that and asking a lot of questions. Um, so potentially I might have spent a little bit more time later in my career. I've come more to reading research and um looking at that with a critical eye and, and asking more questions. Um, so probably that's the only thing I would have done a little bit differently. Oh, that's fair. That's cool. Just moving on to your role at United now. So just give us a little insight. I know I've seen recently about the new building. So just give us a little insight into your role and the sort of position at the club at the minute and then also what's going on in terms of the new building. Yeah, so um, specifically at Man United, the the development in the women's side has, has really come up in the last sort of five years or so. Um, so it's a, it was a brand new team sort of five years ago and this season was the first time we competed in the Champions League. So um, that's been a really, a really swift rise. Um, the role itself, uh, so I focus more specifically around the strength and conditioning side. I do all the prep work in the gym with players pre-training. I do all their strength and power sessions. I kind of take lead on the the profiling and screening that we do. Um, obviously, the new building that we moved into the start of this season has been massively beneficial to that. So having a, a really well-equipped gym on site right next to the players' changing rooms, they've got their ice baths and their facilities in their changing rooms, um, all the kind of staff offices and physio rooms and treatment rooms all on that, that one site rather than being dotted around the the campus um another huge thing would was um having our own canteen space our own performance chef which i think has had a huge impact on on performance the quality of food the players gets outstanding and that really helps me in terms of making sure they're recovered for future sessions um so yeah having that new building has been a really big progression and, and fantastic support from the club and with you've obviously mentioned there about the amount of years now that you've picked up in in the women's game, and it's the transition's been 
massive over the last few years, leading us into a real elite sporting environment now that you see across a lot of clubs. But what are some of the things that you've taken away from that progression in terms of how's that influenced you and your approach that you take with the players? Yeah, I think I think fundamentally, um, some of my sort of principles with the players wouldn't necessarily change. Like I'm, I'm big on a... Um, on really getting to know your athletes, knowing their sort of strengths and weaknesses, knowing how they like to work, how they like to uh, how they like to develop. But I think everything around the players has improved so much, and that and that's come with the growth of the game and the growth of investment from men's teams and football clubs, um, but also through the players themselves improving the product of women's football. It's something that. Um, that people really want to come and watch now. People really want to watch on TV. Obviously, the Lionesses have had a huge success over the last few years. Um, we as a club at Manchester United have had really good success and and um, we're starting to to fill stadiums in our own right now. Like um, I was lucky enough to work at the FA Cup final last year with a with a full Wembley Stadium, um, which was incredible. Um, obviously, the Euros final was full as well at, um, at Wembley a couple of years ago. Um so yeah, everything around the players has progressed now. We we can um we can offer a lot more, whether that be from strength and conditioning, nutrition, uh, physiotherapy, all the kind of support around the around the players has improved and the professionalism has improved. Yeah, no, that's class. I want to go into something we've talked about quite a bit, but I know you can give some really good insights into this, and that's individualizing um within the squad. So just Broadly, to start with, how you go about that? Because obviously you've got a group of players, they're all got slightly different needs. So how do you go about individualising? And then just tagging on the, the end of that, just more focusing around the injury prevention side. Um, there's obviously been a lot made recently about injuries in the women's game. So how would you then approach that on the individual side? Yes, yeah, so I think it, it, it always starts with a structure across the full squad and how you want to work. And some of that will be dependent on schedule. So um, might be how a specific manager likes to work. I've worked with different managers who like to work in different schedules, training on different days, focusing on different things tactically and technically on different days. So you have to create a, a framework, I guess, that fits with that. And then how you then adjust that framework and what you hit on different days, whether that be a high-density fixture period where you've got Champions League games midweek or three games within a week, um, six, seven games in a month. Also in the Women's Super League, it's quite unique where you sometimes have pitch, um, periods of very low density where you might only have a couple of games in a, in a full month. And then you've got to think about how you uh, how you maintain fitness levels in players that maybe aren't in the, in the starting team. Um, so I'll always start by creating that structure around the full squad. And then... I'll use profiling and screening to bucket those players into specific groups. So typically how I work on a typical day will be um, players will come in and do their initial individual programs, pre-training, the first thing they do when they come in. And that could be based around their movement profiles. It could be based on their strength and power programs. It could be based on previous injuries or little niggles and things that they're carrying. Um, and they'll come in and crack on with that. And then we'll move into more a team-focused approach. So that might be the physical quality we're trying to work on that day. So it might be high-speed running and max velocity sprinting. It might be deceleration and change of direction. 
it might be acceleration and projection. Um, so however that looks, and they'll do that as a group. So we're hitting our physical element for that day. That will then transfer into the pitch-based warm-up where they'll focus on that same element. And then hopefully that will then be um, enforced in the training session for that day. So the whole day sort of flows. And then we come back into the gym and work on those physical qualities in the gym post-session. Um, obviously, if we don't quite hit the physical qualities we want to hit, so say it's a, it's a high-speed running max velocity day on pitch, but we don't quite hit that with the team session due to the tactical work for that day, then we'll obviously top that up. Um, so the day should should sort of flow like that. And then in terms of the uh, the strength and power, so I'll profile each player, but the way I like to do it is because I think there's a few limitations to um, to maybe two, three or four big profiling hits throughout a season. I tend to use more of a screening-based approach. So we try and screen players weekly, try and um, look at strength power metrics every two or three weeks when we can within the program. And then we're always updating what are the players' weaknesses that we need to work on, what are the players' strengths that we can then turn into super strengths. Um, and as I said, I'd bucket players based on that. And then um, and then that those groups become more and more individual throughout the season um, in terms of pushing players towards specific exercises or specific training modalities to improve them as an individual. And with that structure of the day, Jack, does that tend to stay similar? So in terms of the order of doing gym afterwards, um, the time of your training, in terms of the pitch work, does that stay pretty steady? Yeah, I'd say in previous seasons, within the WSL, it's quite quite unique and, and quite advantageous to an S&C because it tends to just be weekend to weekend. Yeah. Um, this season with the Champions League and the way the schedule's sort of fallen, it has had to vary quite a bit because um, also the WSL is now on Sky TV a lot more. So yeah. um, days of games change. So you might play Sunday to Saturday. You might have more midweek games. Um, so yeah, that that daily schedule might change a little bit. We might do a little bit more physical work in the gym pre-training before we go out, or we might have to micro-dose really short, sharp sessions immediately post training or possibly even after games with certain players if we need to um so yeah that that would be like a typical day structure and that's quite um quite set and the players like to work like that but sometimes we do have to vary that i think there'll be a lot of coaches like i wish i could have a bit of bit of consistency and, and nowhere max i know that that's not the same for everyone but i know there'll be different challenges that you'd be facing as well um, just off the back of that profiling, is that a point that you potentially sit down with players and go through some targets you might have for them in terms of their strength and power throughout the season? Yeah, so we'll try and um, try and always feed back to, uh, I guess, the sports science and medical MDT initially, bring in their feedback and their thought process. Yeah. Um, then take that to coaches and bring in their thoughts on the player. Also, like, visually how they perform on the pitch might potentially bring in analysis within that as well. Um, and then with all that collaborative information that can then go to the player and then talk to the player about where they see their strengths and weaknesses. Um, and I, to be fair, I think that's something that can probably be done. I'm probably not the only coach to say that. I feel like I probably do that better because 
the time in the schedule to actually go through those conversations at each level and then spend time with the player to actually discuss all that. That's, you don't get a lot of time to do that. Yeah, um, That's certainly something I'd like to do to do more of. If you are thinking about joining our online community, now is a great time. We've just uploaded three brand new presentations from our recent event at Blackburn Rovers. The first one is from first team athletic performance coach Adam Yates on academy to first team coach transition. So we talked about his role from academy coach right through to first team, some of the differences, the differences in physical and mental demands, programming differences, and also what we can improve. And also from Head of Sports Science and Medicine, Russ Wrigley, he presented on insights into developing elite youth footballers. So we spoke about creating culture, the pyramid of competitive greatness that they use at Blackburn, which is a great title, the importance of player development, and also the different influences that are around academy players now as well. And also we've got the presentation by under-21 physical performance coach at Blackburn, Rob Pulling. Rob presented on managing the transition through under-21s football. So he spoke about profiling the under-21 player, summarising the player's needs, managing players across the squads, and also working under some different managers as well. So they're all available to watch in full right now on our online community. That joins over 150 plus hours of content already available on there. And we'll have more to upload very soon as well. So go and check it out. If you're not a member, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up to a free 30-day trial. That gives you full access. After your 30-day trial, you become a paid member of the community and you get invited into our members-only WhatsApp group as well. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and sign up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Jack Clover. Oh, that's cool. And that, in terms of the um, cohesive approach that you're taking with the MDT, is that something that you feel has progressed a lot throughout your time in the women's game? Obviously, as resources have come into the game more like we've discussed, is that the big thing that you feel like has, has progressed? Probably the biggest thing, I would say, because just the support is is so much more. So I probably started out in semi-freshman football with... Um, you might have one sports therapist, one S and C. Um, you might have a manager and an assistant, or you might just have a manager. You might have a goalkeeper coach. There was time periods where there wasn't a goalkeeper coach. Like I've I've warmed up goalkeepers before games in the past. Um, so yeah, the 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 staff would be really basic, really small. Whereas now, um, the MDT is a lot bigger. You might have, um, you know, full time doctor in there as well several physiotherapists uh, massage therapists that can be utilized as well more coaching staff um, more analysis staff that you can get feedback on the players from as well um, so yeah certainly huge increase in the amount of expertise around players from a staffing point of view and have you found that the requirements from the player side has um, increased in terms of what they expect because obviously with the way the clubs progressed as well, I'm guessing there's players coming from different clubs that have got a lot of resources as well. Are you finding that that players are, are expect? I don't mean expecting the bad way, but do they, do they just expect more now? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think as well, like being within a women's department in a in a Premier League club, you're always striving to deliver 
as close as he can to that Premier League provision. But even though I said the staffing has improved a lot, you're still working on potentially half, maybe a quarter of the number of staff that the Premier League team will have. So you're always striving for that delivery and you might be able to access everything, but actually having the time and manpower to do that is still a challenge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely players players are always pushing for more. I think staff as well are always pushing for more, pushing boundaries. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's definitely getting there, but I think it's still uh, more limited in terms of resources than certainly the Premier League and, and Championship. Yeah, no, definitely. I don't know, what, what you mentioned before it made me think I need to do an episode at some point where we cover the odd jobs that sports scientists and S&C coaches have done, like you said about warming keepers up. <laughs> There's going to be a hell of a lot of them, isn't there? Jobs that you didn't expect. Well, I had a, I had a conversation with um, a placement student yesterday about how um, when I first started, we didn't even have a full set of GPS pods. We just had, I think, six or seven GPS pods that I was able to borrow from the university for a study. Yeah. Um, so again, a lot. And whereas now I think we have GPS on every player down to under 16 level. Um, so even in terms of like what's expected from a from a physical performance coach now, I think um, there's obviously a lot a lot more there than there was starting out. I started out I think seven eight years ago. Yeah, hundred percent. Just in terms of technology and how the program has progressed on that front, what have been some additions maybe you've made recently to the program? Um, I mean, we're very lucky. We have access to a lot. Um, we probably have access to pretty much anything we we could need, um, and then in terms of like what we do for our weekly screening, we use force plates, um, we use uh, Nordboard, Force Frame, Kangatech. Um, so we have kind of access to everything, which is which is obviously new. Like I said before, few going back a few years, you wouldn't even have the GPS, so you'd be doing everything through um, subjective load RPE, um, and then I think there's a there's a lot of progressions come in as well around um i think at, at, at the club we've kind of had conversations around um wearables within the boot with four sensors on where you can monitor what what players are doing live on pitch um or uh, non-wearable gps systems or uh, player tracking systems that stadiums now have mm-hmm. um so we had a we had a recent game at Old Trafford, where we were able to track the players with GPS, Sportlight, and Second Spectrum. Um, so we had three different ways of of um, monitoring the players' external load in that one game. Um, so there's certainly a lot of a lot of progression. Um, we have access to strength and conditioning apps now. Um, so like people will have heard of things like Team Builder, Bridge Athletic that we use. Um, where everything can be paperless. Those programs can track load progression really well, track volume load really well. You can program percentages of 1RM or uh, velocity metrics really easily through those sort of programs. And then when players are away from club, you can still provide that detail. Um, And the player can feed back to you even remotely when they're on international duty or when they're in um, off-season breaks. so yeah, the, the technology's really, really improved. I think um I think it's only gonna improve more. 
How do you find that line, though, Jackson? I know you mentioned before in terms of your philosophy is, is getting to know the player. Um, and that's going to give you a lot, as much as it isn't written data, it's going to give you a lot of, of feedback, isn't it, from a player? But with this access to technology, where do you find the line where you know, right, I need this amount from tech and I'm going to rely on this amount from speaking to players, relationships and all, all that sort of side? I still think there's huge merit in just that conversation with the player. And yeah. even if, so we'll, we'll screen players every match day plus two when they come back in after a game. And sometimes you get just as much from that, okay, how are you? How was your day off? How are you feeling conversation as you do from the force plate feedback or the Kanga Tech feedback or whatever that might be. Um, obviously collecting wellness data, um, from the player as well via apps or just from speaking to them is really important. So I'd, I'd say that's, that's just as important for the initial decisions. And then the objective data is a really nice way of backing that up, whether it be to coaches or even to the player themselves, just to say, look, you're not quite where we'd want you today. We're going to modify you in this way or, um, okay, yesterday you might've been feeling a little bit tired, but actually objectively you're in a really good place to go and train and you can sort of, um, the technology helps in that conversation with either the player or the coach. Yeah. Um, but the conversation with the player or the coach is still very important. Yeah. Cause I always think that about like, like your bootstrap data and people looking at that. And sometimes it's a lot of the time, I think it gives you the feedback that you probably know, doesn't it? Like we were talking, I know this is slightly off, off tangent, but you got a little one and you know that your sleep's off overnight. So it's probably yeah. going to tell you that that on a, any sort of tracking app as well. So just that conversation or just that reflection on it is probably going to give you a lot, isn't it? So I just think it's interesting, especially for someone like yourself that's got access to um, such technology, just deciding on what exactly to use and how that is going to be so impactful on your program as well. Yeah, and I think you need to keep that data flow simple initially because... Um, we're also, as as practitioners in full-time sport, quite quite poor on time, as we've said before. So um, if I screen players at 10 o'clock and train sessions at half 11, I've got to process enough information to feedback to coaches within that time frame. Yeah. And that's where if you've not already had that discussion with the player, if you've not already spoken to the full MDT and, and you might have an insight into, okay, the player was a little bit sore after the game, so... They might be feeling this. So you already know that information from your morning meeting. If you haven't done that, it's very difficult just to process data and have enough time to feed that back. Um, so it has to be a holistic approach. You have to take the the wellness, the conversations with the players, the conversations with other staff, and the objective data as as one kind of holistic approach rather than just relying on the technology. Yeah, 100% love that. I wanted to follow up on the conversation I had recently with Joe Club and around research in the women's game, because obviously Joe gave some great insights into the research done, but also future research as well. And I wanted to speak to yourself, because obviously being um, on the front line, as we put it, um, and, and seeing players every day, working with players every day, just in terms of what research has um, had a big impact on the way you work, we've been really beneficial in terms of working with with women players, but also where are the gaps? Where do you see the gaps where we need more? 
Yeah, I, I, so I listened to the podcast you did with Joe, and, and Joe's a fantastic practitioner, consultant, and I was lucky enough to work with Joe uh, in the FIFA project that I did a, a couple of years back, and that was really beneficial to me. Um, I think there's a lot of fantastic work in in progress around research um, with female athletes specifically, and also looking at female footballers specifically. Um, there's also obviously also a lot of gaps. Um, I think um a lot of the uh a lot of the research it's, it's maybe not so much about the quantity of research but more around the actual quality and application of that um mm -hmm. of that research in in practice which is obviously what what i'm very interested in um i think there are um there's some some interesting sort of uh correlations and applications around some of the some of the injury um injury research particularly around menstrual cycle but i also think um there's gaps to using that in practice so for example um we will track players menstrual cycles but then what happens if they're on specific contraceptives or hormonal contraceptives that means we then can't track their menstrual cycle um how does that affect their hormone levels how could that potentially affect their um their risk of injury um whether menstrual cycle actually affects risk of injury at different phases is is up for debate and there's probably a need for more clear research around that however um does energy availability at different phases of the menstrual cycle affect risk of injury through excessive training load for example um so can we adapt that a little bit um and then i think uh in terms of the kind of general research picture as practitioners in women's football will rely heavily on uh, maybe research in men's academy football, for example. Um, now, I think Joe mentioned in her podcast, football is football, it's the same sport, but also there's different characteristics to women's football to compare with men's football. Women's football tends to be a little bit more transitional. Um, there might There's obviously less high intensity characteristics in the, GPS profile from a women's game, but actually the volume is fairly similar. And it is possible that because the game is increasing in intensity at such a fast rate because of professionalism, it's possible that the the actual cost to the player, the physical cost, the load on the player is actually increasing a lot faster than in men's football. Um, I think I think it'd be really interesting to see more research around actually quantifying the demands on the player from an energy expenditure point of view, from a mechanical point of view. Um, there, there's some, some, some bits that we're really interested in around uh, accurately measuring deceleration, um, which is obviously a common mechanism for ACL injury, which is a, um, a hot topic and a, um, a high burden injury. And it's a higher prevalence in female athletes. Um, but it's a very difficult thing to quantify without being in a lab and having a lot of very sophisticated technology. Um, so are there are there more applied? So can we take the um, the laboratory research, the very highly controlled research, and um, start to make that a little bit more applicable to actually what practitioners can do with players in shorter periods of time uh, to get clear insights that we can actually um we can actually affect day-to-day -day in training 
Yeah. Um, I think we've maybe gone in a few different directions there, but there's probably a few different ways um, that we can kind of build the research profile around specifically female athletes. No, I love that because you're talking about, because once, once a lot of that has, like that research in those areas has been padded out, you mentioned the academy there. That's going to filter down through that academy, isn't it? And it's going to give you a little bit more in terms of um, targets, a little bit more um, clarity on where you need players to be before they're stepping into first team. Yeah. So yeah. No, that makes complete sense. Now, I think that's, obviously that ties in with some of the things that Joe spoke about in terms of the D-cell. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see what comes out of that. And also, like we say, how that is then applied into a programme. Yeah, I mean, my philosophy has always been, um, or certainly over the last few years, has been, can I build the physical quality underpinning the movement on pitch? Um, yeah. And can I do that in the weights room? Can I then take it out on the pitch and and really train those specific movements? Um, I think in your podcast with Alan Jordan, he mentioned about deceleration being a an, an undertrained aspect uh, with footballers, um, which I'd probably agree with. And I think particularly in female footballers where there is a greater risk of ACL and a common mechanism for ACL is deceleration mm. at speed. Um, so yeah, my philosophy has always been, can I build a robust athlete in the weights room um, who is then resistant to, to injury on the pitch? But I think the research could give us more information on how we can be a bit more detailed, and a bit more specific with profiling those players regularly um, and then knowing what specific aspects to work on with specific players because because the risk factors for ACL are so broad there's so many factors involved um, I think if the research can sort of start to point us in the right direction a little bit more that would be really helpful in applied practice yeah definitely I, I think the, the interesting side of it for me is that is that academy system because the we've spoke about the growth already and the growth of the academy system is only going to develop as well over the next few years too. So it's just going to be really interesting on how that growth for the academy in terms of the amount of academies, the opportunities, goes alongside what we're learning at the top end in terms of first team where we know players need to be ready and how that filters through. And then also ultimately how that differs. How is that going to, How different is it going to be from a, a boys' academy? Is it going to be very different is it going to be similar it's just going to be interesting to see isn't it yeah and the and the um the training histories of of female players is so different yeah um, so i actually work with a couple of players now who i worked with when i started in women's football and they were young players at the time and obviously they were part-time athletes and they were 17 or 18 at the time um but obviously in the men's game if you're 17 and 18 and you're on a trajectory to being a a Premier League or a Championship player, um, you're probably well. You will be training full time. You will be yeah. in, in in the gym, um, three four days a week. Um, whereas still, in in women's football, it's progressing in terms of there's some really strong academies now, um, and the provision is really increasing. But there's still a sudden sort of jump from an under twenty ones player who's very much a part time athlete to a first team player who's a full-time athlete yeah and there's a lot of kind of um there's a, a few different ways that clubs are trying to bridge that gap now with dual signing players and loaning players but also 
again, as a comparison with the men's game, um, uh, men's under-23s or 21s player might be able to go on loan to a League 2 club and be at a very, very, very high standard of football. Whereas in the women's game, there isn't quite the pyramid at this stage. So mm. if you're dropping down a level, you're you're then a part-time athlete. Um, so there's a, there's a little bit to be done there around bridging the gap between... Um, between a youth player, unless they're already in in a first team at 16, 17, it's quite a big jump physically. Yeah, I love that you brought out the loan system because that was something I was going to mention because that is, obviously some clubs use it more than others, don't they? And some clubs take slightly different approaches with their sort of 23 squad, but um, no, it makes complete sense what you've mentioned there. And I think a lot of it is going to be like quite an organic development and growth as well, isn't it? As as the this trajectory just sort of carries on, like you're going to see this these opportunities come up more and more, and, and the standard go up more and more as well. So, um, no, Jan, that was brilliant, mate. Really good, really good insight into what you got going on at the club, and also progress made over the last few years too. Um, just give us it in terms of if people have got questions or they want to reach out to you, where would you direct them? Um, yeah, they can. Um... They can reach out to me on LinkedIn. They can look me up on LinkedIn. Um, I do use Instagram and Twitter, but uh, not kind of from a business point of view or anything. So just from a social point of view. So um, sometimes people reach out to me on there. Um, I wouldn't say I'm the best person at getting back to people quickly, um, but I will get back to people eventually. And I'm, I'm always open to uh, a conversation with someone. Um, more than happy to give someone a call and, and chat around um strength and conditioning or female athletes specifically or point people towards other resources. Um yeah, maybe LinkedIn probably the best one. Brilliant, mate. Well I really appreciate you coming back on, Jack. We won't leave it as long next time. Yeah, definitely. No, no problem at all. Thanks for thanks for having me. It's been great catching up with Jack. It's been far too long since we did that last episode, so it was great to catch up on the work that he's been doing most recently at Man United. I hope you took plenty from the episode. I think a few things he mentioned was the importance of coach experience, so picking up experiences along the way, which we've spoke about a lot. That's come up, that's come up a lot in recent episodes as well. Knowing your players is a big one, so not just in in terms of testing players, in terms of data, sort of performance in the gym and all the rest of it, just getting to know your players, knowing them on a personal level, massive skill that is required um, working with any sort of squad. And then keeping the data flow simple, he spoke about too. I think that was another really important point. Sometimes it can get overcomplicated. We produce fancy charts and graphs that we might be impressed with, but players, coaches, anyone that you're presenting to, it needs to be in a way that they're going to understand it. We need to speak their language. So some really key takeaways, I think, from this episode with Jack. So I hope you enjoyed it. As always, please give us a share over on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, there's been a lot of people doing that recently. I really appreciate it because it definitely gets us out to new eyes and ears for the podcast, new listeners and, and watchers on YouTube. Um just finally from me, please go and give our sponsors some support and at least a follow over on social media. That's Hytro, The Good Prep, Magic Mind and also Rezzle. Go and search for them all over on socials. Go and give them a follow, show them some love. They massively support this podcast. It's an exciting time for the podcast. I've mentioned it on a few episodes recently. 
We've got the brand new podcast studio coming very soon. I can see it from where I'm recording right now. Um, it's going to improve the podcast, improve the quality, which I'm looking to do all the time. So I'll be showing a few insights into that over on our Instagram. So go and give us a follow at Football Fit Fed and you'll get a little sneak peek of what we've got going on with the studio. Thank you again for listening. I really appreciate it. And I'll speak to you again next week in episode 278.